five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. No more heroes anymore. The Stranglers <clears throat> taking the piss out of that song. Do I have a spot here today? God damn it. Hold on. Where's my quality control? Where is my quality control when I need it? Ugh. I hate that. Anyway, what's going on, everybody? It's me, Robert Phoenix, with the. Uh, the spot, spot on my shirt. Too bad I just don't have a headshot. If I didn't have a headshot, you wouldn't be seeing. And anyway, I gotta, I gotta have better quality control here, especially on a Monday. Mondays are always a little difficult because I'm coming off a two and a half hour show on a Sunday night. Please don't shed any tears for me. I'm not asking for any sympathy. But there's just something weird about about Mondays. A lot of times I have a strange technical difficulties <clears throat> on Mondays. And I hope today is not one of those days. At least it's just the wardrobe. Um, here we go. The hardest working cat on the internet right there. Aren't you? Looks like Brack. Looks like Brack from Space Ghost, doesn't he? Are you Brack? You related to Brack? Huh? You are the hardest working cat on the internet. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. People miss you photobombing the uh, the show. We'll have to remedy that. Put up, we'll, we'll put up uh, stage two. We have we have stage one. This is stage one over here, studio one. We have studio two on the other side. He just needs to have more of a space to hang out with on uh, studio two, don't you? Yeah. We used to do that back in the old days. Used to hang out right by the top of the computer, stick your head in. Everybody would see you in your happy face. Yeah. Right now, it's back on the couch. Yes, I know. I know. You just got all that attention. Well, you're welcome to sit up and join the show. You're more than welcome to do that. Nobody says you have to go back to sleep. Well, happy Monday. A little bit of the uh, Stranglers taking the piss out of... There's, I think I played that before. I think I've played that on the show before. But it, it seems appropriate today with uh, today's title. Whatever happened to Tony Fauci? He got a war on. He left the stage. Whatever happened to Tony Fauci? Whatever happened to Tony Fauci? No more Fauci anymore. He will slither back under the rock from whence he came until it's time for him to be pulled back out again. 
and play the boogeyman for whatever other iteration of the great global pandemic that uh, they want to bring into our lives, our pocketbooks, our jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for now, the uh, villain of the moment is one of Vladimir Putin. And uh, we did a, I did a astrological breakdown of Putin last night under the context of potentially Putin, not really even being Putin, but you know, for the sake of argument, let's say he is Putin or at least a, a reasonable variation of Putin and uh, trying to understand what's going on in Ukraine. It's a weird story still. It is, it's the weirdest story, I think, really, of, of, uh, of my lifetime, really. I mean, there's some strange stories, too. 9-11 is a strange story. Very weird. But this is weird in that, you know, we're coming right out of the, the scamdemic, and now they need a new, a new lever, right, to crank. And what's interesting is some of the uh, news that comes out around people who have connections in Ukraine. Or So there's a guy who I just started recently, Pete, Pete Santello, I think that's his name. And he does these really great videos where he goes into these neighborhoods that are very different from his background and finds common bonds. Well, he did a basically half an hour video last night and he was talking about Ukraine because uh, his, he was in Ukraine for four years. His wife is from Ukraine and uh, he's got relatives in Ukraine. He lived with a, a Ukrainian family, I guess, out in the Ukrainian countryside for a while. I, so he's talking to people and he's very pro-Ukraine. He's very anti-Russia. And uh, he believes that Ukraine will be victorious, that they're the ones that are the, the, the righteous, they're the righteous ones uh, in this conflict. Uh, because they're the ones that are that are being attacked, uh, they have the uh, the moral uh, imperative. When you have a moral imperative, uh, you can. So we're looking for you have you have you have the skin in the game to defeat your so-called uh, enemies or foes or uh, you know the 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 uh, the conquesting army that has descended upon you because you have legitimacy, right? Like the conquesting army is there for a particular reason. It's not there to defend the homeland. And he brought up a couple of examples about that, like how the Afghanis were able to thwart the Americans and the Russians for a very long time because they had the, 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 the moral imperative. Well, how did that work in Libya? It didn't work so well in Libya, did it? Sometimes the moral imperative gets outweighed and crushed by the forces that descend upon it. Clearly, the United States was an aggressor in Iraq and turned the country into a wasteland. And they had the moral imperative to stave off the United States. How did that go? Not very well. Iraq is a, a wasteland. It's, it's been turned into rubble. It, was, it used to be a, a halfway decent country. And they had some level of prosperity under Saddam Hussein. Women were treated pretty well. They had this bath party, which is semi-socialist. It, was, it wasn't a, a full-on democracy. 
but it's a hell of a lot better than what they have now. What they have now is, is pretty dystopic. And how did that work out for them in terms of the moral authority? We here in the United States had the moral authority, theoretically, against the purple revolutionaries and uh, the toppling of the statues. How did that work out? Sometimes moral authority sounds really good on paper, but it doesn't always play out that way. And I, I don't want to you know, cast aspersions or be paranoid. He seems like a really good guy. I think maybe he's very legit. But, all, you know, here he is. He's got a million viewers, and he's cultivated a very nice uh, catalog of videos where he makes the world closer together, which I really like those videos. But now he's coming out and he's selling uh, Ukraine and all of this. It's like, well, that's kind of interesting. Is it by happenstance? that he's doing this like, or is there something else going on with it? I, I don't want to be paranoid. I want to think that this guy has a natural organic relationship with his content, natural organic relationship with his wife, natural organic relationship with the country of Ukraine. And this is the, uh, this is where he's coming from. I'd like to think that I hate to think that he's a fucking spook. Uh, he's there to promote the war and he's got, a, he's got a million people on his YouTube page where he can, sell a story. I, I don't want to think that. I want to, I want to think the best of humanity, but there's another part of me that knows that this is how the fucking game is played. Now, I guess I could play that video. It's 20 minutes long. I take up most of my show, which I really don't want to do. You can find it if you want. Pete, Pete Santello or Santanello. I love his other videos, by the way. It's really good work. But when he talks about Ukraine, and I think he does have something to say here, is that the people there have a probably better relationship with their lifestyle than say the Russians do. Cause if the, the one thing that I've noticed about and people that I've talked about, I've got a good, I've got a friend on, on Twitter who lives in Italy and she's Russian. So we developed a relationship friendship while the, scamdemic was going on and she was really terrified because things are getting very heavy in Italy. And it's like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. They're making it very difficult to go out and buy things. You know, the story, right? It's, it's the story of uh, the vaccine passport, social credit, digital ID, all that shit. But she didn't want to go back to Russia because it was in some ways worse in Russia and I'm not talking about the scandemic stuff, although that was there. Like she couldn't just go back to Russia and not have to dodge the shot, although they have their own shot. And I don't know what, I think it's a Sinovax, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not sure how that differs from the uh, mRNA nightmare that they were offering up in Italy. But she was talking about basically life in Russia, and it's kind of oppressive. It's not real... It's not real um, happy, happy, joy, joy. And again, I'm not here to uh, turn Russia into this, uh, this, this WFC, you know, a wrestling villain, like the great Putin. I'm not here to do that, but I am, I do have to, you know, basically relate what I know about the situation and that 
you can't get away with shit in Russia. And we used to watch that guy, Dan Shikov and his wife on YouTube a lot, who were nice people. The people seemed very nice, very kind, you know, very, in a lot of ways, very innocent. And, um, and one time he went to a neighboring town and he walked around a neighboring town and he was, he was frightened of the police. That was his thing. It's like, if you saw, if you see a cop in like a town, like he was in, in Russia and, um, you would not want to be on the same side of the street as they, as, as they were, you didn't want to look them in the eye. You wanted to avoid them at all costs because the police in Russia are very corrupt and they'll find something to bust you on. And then they'll, they'll find you and they'll, they'll take money from you. Literally, they will shake you down in the street. And I don't know anybody who can, who can live like that. We can't, we have, we have uh, acid forfeiture here in this country. If you have, uh, let's say you had $10,000 and you were going to buy a car, you got pulled over. You had $10,000 in cash. Guess what? Those cops, more than likely, if they were able to do a search on you, which you should never, ever, 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 ever agree to, by the way, ever. They, you can't do, they can't do that. But if they did and they found your $10,000, they could take it. You could say, I'm going to buy a car. They said, well, we don't know that. You could be a drug dealer. So it's not like it doesn't happen here, okay? But there are shades of gray. And here it's shady gray, like my couch. Over in Russia, it's probably like the shady gray right there. See that? So it's not, it's not like it's it's a it's not like a 24-7 disco in Russia. It's a hard place. And there's a reason it's a hard place, and it's because Putin does not want whoever is running Russia does not want Russia to succumb to the West. They don't want they don't want the West. I don't blame them. The West is corrupt. But not to say that Russia is pure. Like I said, they've got their own issues. But it's a very different situation. Now, what this guy Pete doesn't talk about, of course, he never mentions the fact that they had the Euromaidan. And he's actually saying, well, we the people voted for this. Well, you had $5 billion and you, you had uh, vicious Vicky Newland running a color revolution in Ukraine. He doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about essentially what the Bidens and uh, what uh, Hillary and Feinstein, I think, I think it was, what's the picture? There's a picture of not Feinstein, uh, Pelosi. It was, it was Biden, Pelosi, John Kerry, and then somebody else. There were four politicians and all their kids were working for companies in Ukraine. What's going on there? So, so, you know, he may have a local perspective where he's touched the soul, the people of Ukraine, whatever. He's got a Ukrainian wife. He's got to be, he's got to be loyal. At least that's what he says. And I have no reason not to believe him. And he says that they're down in subway stations and they're learning how to make Molotov cocktails and they're going to fight the Russians to the death. And then even if the Russians win, they'll be living and dealing with a, a, an insurrection on a daily basis. Ultimately, Russia will lose. I'm just telling you what his scenario is. And that could be true because it's very hard to occupy a country unless you're Iraq. If you're Iraq, you're fucked because you got occupied, you got devastated, and you've never returned. 
that's just a fact. If you're Libya, you're fucked because you got devastated, you got occupied, and now you're just a mere shell. And by the way, the Russians saw all this. They saw what the Americans were doing. They saw that the Americans were going through and doing these uh, devastating regime changes. So they, they didn't trust the Americans. And this goes back a long way. It's like, if you go back during the Cold War, you had essentially Europe and Russia and, and the United States. And the United States and Europe were, were different. Like how England and how the United States dealt with international affairs was very different. And from the jump, the United States was not trusted because they would always change the rules. And you had uh, essentially after World War II, uh, you had the creation of the CIA, uh, people like um, the Dulles brothers and Kermit Roosevelt, who goes in and overthrows uh, the Mossadegh regime in Iran the first time they ever threw a leader in Iran. So you have the formation of these intelligence groups in the United States. And they're not trustworthy. They, they, uh, they renege on their contracts, they renege on their agreements. They're just, they're, they're not trustworthy because ultimately the CIA is connected to corporations and corporations are looking after their own self-interest. So whatever is going to suit the corporation or the front company of the CIA, which is a corporation, they have many of them, some of whom tie into other real corporations, that's who they're going to be beholden to. And they don't really have a hard and fast set of rules. They're not, you know, they're basically the roots of the CIA come from skull and bones. And I've, I've said this before, if you want to see a really good movie, watch The Good Shepherd with Matt Damon. And it gives you an insight into how the skull and bones was formed, how it operates, the levels of secrecy involved, that the, there's depravity, right? Because they have to do something in front of other people, which humiliates them and brings them into their circle of trust, right? It's all in that movie. You can watch it. And there's interesting symbolism in there too. But that's a whole different story. Uh, so this is foreign policy in the United States is not based on any kind of, of trust or uh, real uh, loyalty. I mean, even the first war in Afghanistan, Charlie Wilson's war, they went in there and they started working with the Afghanis to stave off the Russians. And that was kind of a, a defeat of the Russians. It was, And that war, by the way, played into what happened with Russia ultimately dropping the whole uh, communistic uh, regime in order because they spent a ton of money in Afghanistan trying to get what they needed to get out of Afghanistan. And they probably could have had the United States not intervened, right? But after we did that, when we created the Taliban, we were like the, the big brother of, uh, or the uncle, the great uncle of the Taliban, and we just laughed. It's like, see ya. And that's what happened. So we created the Taliban essentially to defend Afghanistan's interest against Russia. We armed them, we supplied them with intelligence, all the stuff that we did uh, in other places. And then we split. And we're like, now what? Well, it's your country. And so the Taliban says, okay, well, if it's our country and we got all the weapons, we may as well run this fucker. So the United States is not very trustworthy in terms of foreign affairs and domestic policy or international, international policy. It's just not. So if you're Russia and you're looking around and you're seeing what the United States is doing, well, what do you do? 
right? There's that level of it. Then there's the other level, which is I'm going to talk about, and there's been some interesting developments on that level. So when I talk about the other level, I'm talking about the global level in the World Economic Forum and who is in it and who's not in it. And I have some interesting information, but before I do that, let me go into the best chat group on the freaking internet. You know who you are. You're Chatlandia, or actually Chat Chataria now. And uh, let's see what we got here. Do we have the chat? Why do I, why do I not see any chat? Uh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I put the chat in there today. All right, well, it's just the way it is. See, it's Mondays, man. It's Mondays. I'm not going to stop the show. You're probably over on uh, BoxCast anyway. Um, yeah, I, I programmed the chat. Ah, I hate that. I freaking hate that. It's the way it is. Chataria, I love you. We'll have it on. Uh, we'll have your. I don't know what it is about Mondays. I mean, I'm, I'm looking, I, I swear to God, God is my witness. Jasper, get your ass up. Jasper is my witness. He was here when I did it. I programmed the chat. I looked in and I said, user chat, right? And I hit copy link. Aren't I right, Jasper? He's not very convincing, is he? Okay, so... Chataria, I hope you're doing really well. I just can't stop the show today. Not today. All right, we're going to look at, I'm going to play, play a video because you're probably over on BoxCast anyway. Um, I'm going to play you a video. By the way, if you're listening to the podcast, you can see this live on 15 Minutes of Flame. I got visuals. I got video. And we do have a chat that you can participate in. That's 15 Minutes of Flame, ov.com. So let me uh, let me play a little video that I found here. This is quite funny in a lot of ways because it uh, taps into <laughs> a theme that I've been having with uh, one of our our, our Chatarians. Let me see if I can find it. All right, there's that. Let me go back here. Oh, yeah, here it is, right here. Okay. Here we go. Uh, here it is right there. Uh, the theme has to do with things like uh, transgenderism, cross-dressing, you know, just kind of everyday topics and humor. Look at Jasper, he's gonna give himself a bath. So this is uh, Zelensky. If you were here live watching the show, you're going to see the president of Ukraine dressed in leather and high heels, essentially drag, doing a little dance. Number. But, you know, that's, that's cool, right? It's cool. That's, that's, uh, that's what people do just to get their kicks out. So he's in here. I guess he's part of some, like, dude group. Here, here they are. I don't know their name, but Zelensky's in this uh, wonderful pop masterpiece. That's him right there.
See, this is what we need from our leaders. We need gender fluidity. Gender fluidity means that they're okay with who they are and their masculinity, that they can essentially uh, do TikTok Madonna videos because that's where, that's where that was a Madonna song, right? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, wear uh, pleather jumpsuits and high heels and have uh, mascara and lipstick and uh, painted nails. That's a, that is a true man. That is a man who's not afraid to be a man, along with other men in that video who aren't afraid to be, well, a certain type of man. It's a man who's not afraid to be a woman. A man who's not afraid to be a woman is fit to be a leader because he's a real man. <laughs> Fucking around a little bit today. But it's but there is some thought. There there is some there are people out there in the world who say, you know, but that's right. It's absolutely right. What are you, transphobe? Are you, are you afraid of your inner your inner uh, you remember, I was the guy that was trying to figure out how to get citizenship in Transmisria. Remember that? I don't know what's going on there now. The country without a without a leader. The country without a government. That was my place. Anyway. So Zelensky now is leading the uh the the, the what's the word? I'm looking for the resistance in Ukraine. Now, there's a reason why that guy is, has been picked, obviously. He's been picked because he knows how to bust a move in some, in some pumps. That's probably his best qualification. But there's another qualification here that perhaps is even more important, and it comes to allegiance. And now we're starting to see this... Um, Remember last year in the United States, actually starting in uh, 2020, where we saw the United States become broken apart and balkanized, which I talked about in last night's show. We're starting to see that again now with Russia and the EU. And guess who else? The World Economic Forum. So here's the latest from the World Economic Forum. And uh, let me just see here if I can find it. There's Mark Devlin promoted tweet. How does Mark Devlin get a promoted tweet? Okay, let me see if I, I got to go back and find this because the this isn't. I was on this uh, YouTube page, not YouTube, but Twitter page, and it has to do with the WEF, and apparently Russia has been kicked out of the WEF. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's have another little tidbit. This is from Ukraine, I believe. Ukrainian parliament member. And this is from Fox News. Listen to what she has to say. 
Uh, for the rest of us that aren't Ukrainians, I think the world, quite frankly, Kira, is surprised by the will of the Ukrainian people to stand up and fight. Are you? Well, I'm not surprised. I, uh, we have been fighting uh, Putin for the last eight years, and we had three revolutions in our country when we did not agree with what was going on with uh, the direction of where we're moving in. But right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the Europe. Uh, for the rest of us, that Ukrainians, I think the world, quite frankly, Kira, is surprised by the will of the Ukrainian oh. people to stand up and fight. Are you? Well, by the I'm way, if you surprised. can't see her, I'm going to just describe you. If you're listening to the podcast, she's a poster girl for blonde, Ukrainian, and beautiful. But she does have good uh, trigger control. Her finger is off the trigger with her little Kalashnikov that she's got in her uh, arms. Of course, it's low enough so that she can show her upper torso and have a nice little selfie here. Uh, and it looks like she's just on the other side of her her deck and it's winter time. So you can see the sliding glass door looks like there. Uh, and uh, good trigger control on the Cali. Let's listen to her again. I, uh, we have been fighting uh, Putin for the last eight years and we had three revolutions in our country when we did not agree with what was going on with uh, the direction of where we're moving in. But right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. And when you see her, when you look at when she says this, her eyes look down. It's very interesting. I'll play that again. The democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield. For They're the shield. You're the shield. Okay. You're the shield. You're the shield for the new world order. So now we're looking at global bicameralization and the balkanization of the planet. Democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the euro. Uh I got to go back. Sorry. Let's do this again. I want to see. I want to see her eyes. Right here. But right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the Europe. Uh, so why? You, so this guy with his nice little purple tie on Fox News this talking head. He could have said, new world order. What do you mean by that? He wouldn't have a job by the end of the week if he said that. Trust me on that. So there you go. They are uh, talking about defending the new world order. Isn't that interesting? That's what Ukraine is doing. They're defending the new world order. Let's see, what else do we have here? Yeah, Tony Fauci, he's, he's exit stage left. I mean, that's really a lot of what today's show is about is uh, Tony Fauci and how um, how 
Vladimir Putin was the best thing that's happened to Tony Fauci because there's a new villain in the world. Tony Fauci can just skulk off of stage left and uh, crawl back under the rock that he came from. He's no longer the biggest story in the United States, nor the biggest villain. He's got a way big, way bigger villain now. The Lex Luthor of the planet has been unleashed. And he's 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 a he's a minor he's a minor thug compared to uh, Vladimir Putin. Let's see what we have here. There was this one. Let me see if I can find this. There's this one very interesting development here. It's right here. This is what I was trying to find. This is the uh, page. Let me see if I can do this. This is what I had up here before. Right here. Okay. So this is on Twitter. This is somebody by the name of Richard King. I do not know who he is. I think he might be English. Um, hashtag Putin is no longer a member of the at WEF. According to their own webpage of alumni and supporters, Google WEF members. Putin must be doing something right then. Again, it could all just be show moving the deck chairs around the Titanic, but uh, sorry, we can't find that page you were looking for. Please visit our homepage or select one of the links below back to previous page. So why don't we go there? Let's go to the uh, World Economic Forum website and let's take a, a peek to see if we can find Russia. See if they're on there or in there. So we're going to the WEF page right now. We're going to type in, you know, let's just, here we go. Let's take a gander at uh, the new Schwabians website. Uh, Ukraine, our full solidarity is with Ukraine's people and all of those who are suffering innocently from this totally unacceptable war. Okay, so now it's shaking out that uh, Ukraine are being the victims here. They're the victims, obviously. And uh, they're fighting now for uh, the new world order of newly elected democratic countries. Now, the revolution was funded by $5 billion worth of American money. Do you think that, that the Americans and Vicki Newland and these NGOs and uh, US, USAID, right? Do you think that they're just going to just give that money up and say, hey, good job. Go run your country now free of this guy who is, you know, Putin stooge. Do you think they're going to do that? The answer to that is hell to the no. They want some of that money back. They want some of their investment back with interest, by the way. And that's where you get the involvement of people like Hillary Clinton and uh, John Kerry and Joe Biden and uh, Nancy Pelosi and all their kids in there basically slicing and dicing and carving up Ukraine for their, their resources. It, it becomes, you know, their little money laundering zone amongst many other things. And this, is, this isn't really what's ever talked about. And even Pete Santello, I like the guy a lot, but he doesn't even touch this subject. 
And we live in this very binary world. You're either with Ukraine or you're against Ukraine. You're either somehow supporting Russia because Putin's a white hat, and I'm not convinced he's a white hat at all. Or, and if you do that, then guess what? You're like in this country now, you can't do that. You can't do that in this country. Because if you do that in this country, you're going to be considered a fascist. You're going to like, you're, you're branded. You're, you're, you're branded even worse than being a January 6th or, or a deplorable or um, a Qther. Right. I mean, this is now, oh, you're back. You're backing Putin. You're despicable. Absolutely despicable. So then there's the third part, which is, okay, we're going to sit back. We're going to watch this thing happen because we don't know if it's a real, if it's a script and Sean Penn's going to come out of there with a movie or um, there's a, so here's what I think. I think everything that I've just said is all true. It's all true. All of it's true. That Ukraine is being invaded. That Russia is doing the invading. That in a lot of ways, the people of Ukraine are victims. I think that's true. To a certain extent, whatever extent, we'll sort that out, hopefully. Amidst the propaganda, because we get the propaganda. all the, Like that chick on Fox... That's pure propaganda. That's what she's essentially saying. Like, oh yeah, we, we will fight for the new world order. And if her diction was better, she could probably get a job on Fox because that's what she looks like. She looks like a Fo the Ukrainian version of a Fox correspondent. And, and uh, Russia is dealing with the encroachment of the West and NATO and the United States and the United States showing again and again and again the malfeasance of its foreign policy and how they can't actually keep their word on anything because of the corporate uh, neocon and xiocon interests inside the United States government, all being essentially guided and directed by the banking interests, the Rothschild family, the Federal Reserve. Like This is what drives our foreign policy to a very large extent. Not the not what is good for the people of the United States. What's good for the people of the United States is they get the fuck out of all these international entanglements and involvements and focus our energy here at home. They don't want that, right? So this is the other part of the whole story is it's, again, more of this controlled demolition of this country. So now we've got to stand by the WEF. We've got to stand by Ukraine. So they're forcing us into this alliance. Now, is Russia playing a role in order to do that? Is Russia the Lex Luthor that brings about the WEF? Are they, are they playing that role? Or is Russia anti-WEF? Because now they're kicked out of the website. And they're kicked out of the WF alliance. I, you know, again, it's probably above my pay grade and probably above your pay grade because I think that there are multiple scripts happening all simultaneously. But the ultimate script is to basically run this country into the fucking ground and then essentially bankrupt it and turn it into some level of socioeconomic rubble so they can rebuild it. And then these clowns would say, well, we were right all along. We were right all along.
Three ways the circular economy is vital for the energy transition. New business application data shows off U.S. entrepreneurship has leveled off. Gee, I wonder why. Find out more about the World Economic Forum business partners. Electric vehicle sales continue to soar across the globe. Switching to a healthier diet could boost your life expectancy by 10 years. But what's their version of a healthier diet? California farmers join forces with scientists to save endangered salmon. You know what that means? It means basically they're saying, hey, guess what? Here in California, we're going to give up all of our water to save the endangered salmon. And we're going to stop producing the majority of, of the uh, crops for the United States and probably about a quarter of the world. That's what that article is about. It's essentially uh, rubber stamping the fact that they're diverting all this water from California farmland. The, the World Economic Forum are liars. They're a den of thieves and liars. And these are the people that are being championed as uh, the, the harbingers of a new world, a new society, and a new order. It's all there. This is, this is how the new world order comes to us. It's through the World Economic Forum. It's through Klaus Schwab. It's through cute little girls from Ukraine uh, who have their nice little Kalashnikov and good finger control. And uh, with all honesty and sincerity, tell Fox News that they're fighting for this new world order of democratically elected countries. This is what it looks like. That's what the that's what it looks like. She is the face of the new world. How could you not get behind that? And if you're somebody who's a conservative and you're on Fox, you're going, wow, okay. Look at her. She's cute. Hey, she's white. She's cute. She's white. She's blonde. She's got good uh, trigger control. I'm in. Let's disregard the fact that she let the cat out of the bag. It doesn't really matter. It's uh, revelating the method in a lot of ways. So this, this is where we are now. We're now, we're now we're having to deal with this. And Fauci, who's Fauci? You're not going to see uh, Albert Borla and his great ever-expanding neck. He's off the scene. Stefan Bansell. All these characters that, that we've been unfortunately forced to watch again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month for the last two years, they're going to go bye-bye. You're not going to see them anymore. You're not going to see them. All the things that happened to people during the last two years, people that have suffered massive injuries and deaths thanks to this thing that they unleashed on the public, the genocidal application of an untested technology that's now produced mutant babies, all that's going to pretty much go away. And now it's going to be Ukraine. It's going to be Putin. And the effects that it's going to have on this country and the world economy are the next piece, right? This is the next shoe to drop. And I talked about this last night. Biden has stopped the application for any new leases around gas or oil in this country. So everything started when they shut down the Keystone Pipeline. And I know a lot of people are just are dancing in the streets because, oh, yeah, finally, you know, we spent all that time out there protesting this. And they shut it down. Great. Oh, this is wonderful. The Indians must be so happy. 
Well, there were a lot of jobs that got absolutely destroyed. That's okay. Uh, collateral damage on the way to renewable energy, it's a small price to pay. It's funny. There's that kind of weird bicameral thinking that happens on the left and the right where collateral damage is uh, acceptable. So on the right, you'll hear, well, why didn't, this will be my question, well, why didn't fucking Trump stop what was happening in the summer of Floyd? And why didn't he just put pump the brakes? Why didn't he just pump the brakes on what was going on with Fauci and this whole COVID scam bullshit, which essentially ruined the economy, put us into a two-year coma, split us up, balkanized us, pitted us against one another, then fast-tracked these experimental shots and had kids, uh, you know, get injured or worse, die, right? I mean, you'll get some people that will justify that. And they'll say, well, we needed that in order to show how evil this other side is. I'm like, what? Really? Like, at what point do you need to diminish? How, what degree? At what point? Like, you could have been two months into that fucking thing. And you could say, okay, I get it. Totally get it. Totally get it. We get that these people are evil. Okay, you can turn it off now. You can stop. We'll vote for you. We've seen enough. Okay. But no, kept going and going and going. And then the election comes around and we have the big heist, the big steal, the big, the, the greatest heist ever was really the last election. And then we have January 6th. So this whole thing just snowballs, right? But there's a level of justification. So we'll, we have to, we had to have this in order to get to this point where people have had enough. Well, how much is enough? I ask you, how much is enough? Well, the left have their own version of that too. Well, so what if the economy dies? So what if people have to suffer a bit? So what if these jobs go away? So, so what if um, people in places like West Virginia with clean coal don't have any jobs and they can't pay for their homes and they get bought out by BlackRock for pennies? Who cares? It's just a small speed bump on the way to progress. You know, sometimes, sometimes some blood has to be shed. Sometimes some skin has to be, uh, you, you know, peeled off, right? Th this, is, this is what happens with change. You, you'll get this with people also when they talk about the vaccine. Well, you know, who was it? Joe Rogan even said it when he was, who did he have on? Was it, he, it was, it was some, some big pharma guy that Joe Rogan was stroking. And he said, uh, yeah, vaccines are good. I don't get it, man. Let me see if I do work. I don't get it, man. It's like, look, there's all this paranoia around vaccines. They're one of the great, they're one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. And we, and we know that sometimes there are some issues, but you know, that's that's what happens. I just don't get the paranoia, man. I don't I don't get the paranoia. Yeah, sometimes things happen, but but the but the outcome is is greater for society as a whole. Like he said that I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I can't really do a Rogan, but he said that. And that's the mindset that, yeah. So a few, a few casualties happen, have to happen along the way, but ultimately if we get to where we need to go, that their suffering and their demise or their, uh, uh, you know, their deaths or, or injuries, they'll be worth it. They'll be worth it. This is, this strange idea, 
you know, when you're in a revolution, right? When you're in a revolution, it doesn't matter what side of the revolution you're on, you're on the right side or the left side, um, casualties and collateral damage are part of it. So you can justify it. That's what happens. People can justify what, what takes place. I think it's a slippery slope on both sides. It's a very slippery slope. I don't call me a purist. Guilty. But there are parts of me that understand the, what happens on this planet. And it's a, it, this planet is a, can be a really nasty place. And you're dealing with things like power and you're dealing with things like resources and you're dealing with things like um, grabbing people's attention, hijacking their signal, you know, tapping into their emotional batteries, which is a whole other layer of what's going on here. I get it. I, I'm not, you know, I don't walk around with rose colored glasses. You know, I'm the guy that was last night talking about, you know, how sometimes you have to be a tyrant in order to hold on to whatever you can do for your country. Sometimes you have to be a tyrant. That's the way it is. Because if you let democracy run rampant, they'll run you right out of your fucking country. We've seen it again and again and again. And, and I'm not, and I'm not here like advocating tyranny, but I understand that when uh, you go back and historically, you look at people in the seventies, like in, who, who would come to mind to be like, uh, I don't know, Pinochet or somebody like that. Um, whoever's running Argentina, because they're running basically a communist coup in Argentina. And what did they do? <laughs> like, well, fuck, we're going to, we're going to disappear these people. That's what they did. They disappeared them. And they disappeared journalists. I mean, it was not, it was ugly. Right. And at some point there's this weird thing that happens where let's say, for instance, there is a concerted coup and it is being run by the socialists and the communists. And, you know, it's, it's, we live in this weird world, right? Because the transverse of that is corporate capitalism, which really kind of sucks. So we've seen it in action. We've seen globalism in action. It ruined this country. Globalism defeated the Russians, by the way, if you weren't paying attention. Because what happened with globalism is that the Russians couldn't get into the Soviets, call them the Soviets. They couldn't get into places like Bangladesh or Indonesia and run a program, which is what they would do in places like Nicaragua or Cuba or Vietnam, they couldn't run those programs anymore because the globalists were out there and they were building factories and they were employing people. So globalism helped theoretically defeat the spread of communism, but it was at the price, there was a price to pay because it also took a big chunk out of what happened here in America and taking jobs away from the United States. So we saw this weird kind of geopolitical cage match going on. So globalism was deployed in order to somehow defeat communism. And, and you, you can make it, again, you can make this justification. Great. We stopped communism from reaching, reaching Bangladesh because they make t-shirts and caps there now. But what happened in this country, right? So we live in a very weird world. It's very complicated. There are a lot of different shades of gray. There's a lot going on. And we just have to continue to sort through, you know, what's taking place, right? And, and I think it's, here's, here's what I'm going to say. Try, to, try not to take a side. Try not to take a side. 
Like you can look at the facts and you can try to untangle this thing because there is a thing there. You know, we're looking at the encroachment of NATO in, in that area, a bunch of broken agreements. Um, apparently there was a, 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 an agreement that Trump got rid of, and it was this missile agreement, which basically protected Europe protected. Uh, it was like this weird mid range missile thing. And he, got rid of it, which basically left Europe kind of stranded and naked. And so then NATO, in order to create more of this theoretical firewall between them and Russia, decided, well, we've got to make sure that since this agreement is no longer in place, we can get somebody like Ukraine on board and deploy our missiles. So there's a lot of weird shit here that's part of the story. And, and some of it has to do with the geopolitical game. Um, and then we get into this Byzantine kind of maze where where is everything being driven to? And everything's being driven to ultimately this World Economic Forum, the fourth industrial revolution and the Great Reset. In order to do that, they have to level the economy here. And this is and this is the next phase of it. Because they went through and they probably killed as many small businesses as they could during COVID. Right, huge transfer of wealth. Amazon made a shit ton of money. Walmart made a shit ton of money. All these box lot stores and online providers made a shit ton of money. So it, it improved and strengthened their position. Meanwhile, the guy on Main Street barely hanging on, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a, a, a barbershop or a beauty salon, a lot of places closed. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't. And then, and then they just couldn't, once the lights got turned back on, they couldn't keep people employed because now they're getting essentially universal basic income and de-incentivized to work. I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant plan. Absolutely brilliant plan. And they've played that out probably as much as they can now. So now what's happening is we're going to get the international shockwave along with the fact that, of course, Biden is going to, stop these leases on uh, gas and coal and oil. And what's going to happen? Price of energy is going to go up. Price of food is going to go up. We're going to have more inflation. And they're going to force us into uh, this, this new energy package. This is what's happening right now. It's, it's being unfolded before our very eyes. Of course, we hear the term cyber attack. You'll hear cyber attack. Cyber attack this, cyber attack that, cyber attack this, cyber attack that. And Russia could do cyber attacks. Well, is it Russia that's going to do the cyber attacks? Or is it somebody like Anonymous who's going to do the cyber attacks, who apparently went after Russia? Who is Anonymous anyway? Remember when you thought Anonymous was good? Theoretically, they were going to be the these, these young, punky hackers. And they were going to level the playing field by exposing data and information and corruption. Well, they got busted. They got totally busted. And that was early on in the day. So you had the people who were essentially like the core members of Anonymous. Now they're working for government intel, right? They've, they're still anonymous, but they've just changed their, um, their, their stripes, right? They've changed their allegiance. Because if Anonymous is truly interested, invested in corruption, trust me, and they're that good, they would have they would have found uh, the the vulnerable spots inside of whoever Trump, Biden, 
Obama, anybody in Congress and the Senate, if, if, if they're really that good, what about Epstein? They could have gone right in and just cracked this Epstein thing wide open, but they didn't do that. By the way, the Epstein thing, just going away. Ghislaine who? What? Where is she? What happened to her? Oh, Jean-Luc Burnell. Oh, the guy who was her pimp. Oh, yeah, right. He's dead. He just got killed. Yeah, memory hole. Memory hole, right? Now we got we, what? We got all this other. It's gonna be twenty four seven now. That's the news cycle now. Twenty four seven. Putin is the new Trump, by the way. Putin's the new Trump, and they're gonna try and link Trumpers to Putin. Guarantee you that right now. Guarantee you. this is this is gonna be the new transference. If you haven't figured that out already, oh. You think that Putin is doing the work of this group who's going in and destroying these biolabs and ending trap? Oh, so you're a Putin lover. Oh, okay. You see, so they're just rebranding everything because there's no more juice in Trump. They've, they've, they've squeezed everything out of Trump that they possibly can. There's nothing left there. Like, like they, they squeezed everything out of January 6th. There's nothing left there. And try as they may, as much as they can portray this idea that there's a white nationalist and a white racist and a Nazi around every corner in this country, sorry, it's not true. It's just not true. It's, it's like the Red Scare back in the 50s. Better dead than red. Uh, it's what they've done, right? The new red is, and, and this is another mindfuck. If you go back and you look at the 1980 election, which one night I, I spent the entire night going back and watching the 1980 election. I think I watched it a couple times. It's mind-blowing. The 1980 election is mind-blowing. This is when Reagan defeats Carter he defeats Carter in like the first 45 minutes of the fucking election. I mean, he's just done, right? Like they've already decided, yeah, Reagan's the next president. Sorry, Jimmy. Sorry, sorry, Robotoid Carter. Didn't work out. But you look back at that map and the conservative states were blue. They were blue. And the quote unquote Democratic states were red. And somewhere along the way, they inverted it. So the red states were the blue states. The blue states became the red states. It's very bizarre, very weird, but that's what happened. So they've squeezed everything out of this whole Trump thing as much as they can. They did everything in their power to connect Trump with the Russians early on. Russia collusion, Russia collusion, Russia collusion, Russia collusion. They've socially engineered the whole Putin thing and the Russia thing since... 2016, so the last six years. So now, right, they're making this association that if you somehow back Trump, you back Putin. And if you back Putin, you're backing Lex Luthor. If you're backing Lex Luthor, you're backing the Antichrist. So you're just as bad. It's amazing how they, they, they do this. It's remarkable. 
in a very dark sort of way. So this is what we're going to hear from here on out. And essentially, uh, eventually what they'll do is they'll, they'll let out, well, this is happening economically. We're going to stop this. And meanwhile, you're going to, you're going to watch your spending power go away. We might go through a little bit of a cyber attack here and there. There could be a bank run. That's not out of the question. And this is the next phase. They want to collapse the Western dollar. And there are a lot of people who said, well, BRICS is the way to go. BRICS is the liberating factor. I didn't notice a, a, like a, an A in BRICS. It's not BRICS or BRICS. There's no America in BRICS. Let's just be clear about that. So when you hear BRICS and you think, oh, well, they're going to they're defeat the fiat currency. They're going to defeat the the Rothschilds, they're going to defeat this uh, petrodollar, which has enchained the rest of the planet and thereby liberate the United States. I'm not sure that's the case. You know, a lot of people think that we're going to be moved into this quantum economy and that all of a sudden everything's going to be just hunky-dory and we're all going to be uh, – you know, living fat at the table of Nassara and Gisara, the you know, the uh, everlasting buffet that never ends, right? I mean, that's where some people think this is all headed and that we're just going to have heaven on earth. Thank you very much, Vladimir Putin and Xi for helping us create this situation where we finally have defeated these globalists. We've replaced this nasty system. We have this new system. There are, there, and trust me, there's there's a group of people out there that believe this. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm the one who has the limited thinking. Maybe I'm the one who has the limited thinking. Oh, gee, that's great. I mean, this is what we want, right? We want transparency. We want decentralization. We want cheap power, cheap energy for everybody on the planet, not just people in the United States, but people in Africa and uh, people in you know more of the remote parts of Asia. Levels of the game, levels the playing field, right? It takes these... Uh, these these oligarchical power brokers, whatever the power is, whether it's energy or food or medicine or transportation, it takes them out of the mix. Levels the playing field, decentralization, every country, every person has equal opportunity and shot, right? Boom. I mean, theoretically, that's what we want. Am I right? And by doing so, what do we remove? We, we remove these dictatorial tyrannical powers who control the flow of resources, whatever those resources are, information, capital, food, whatever those resources are, energy. And theoretically, those things could re remove those players and they just go away because these things are readily and available to the majority of the planet. It doesn't mean you have to stop working or stop producing something, right? I mean, you can, and maybe it would ignite a whole new revolution and novelty and invention. And here we are, boom, we are quantumly leapt. We're quantum, quantumly shot into the Aquarian age. And let's get down to some really interesting things. Hey, how about that? Why not? Okay, I'm game. My problem is, is that when we have these people who are theoretically supposed to be there to lead us into this new thing, I'm always wary of the new thing. You got to be wary of the new thing a little bit. Because what comes along with the new thing? What kind of strings are attached to the new thing? That's a big thing. So if we, and I've, and I've heard this, like, well, we're going to have this economy where 
basically it's going to be run by AI. It's a new AI economy. And AI will, will, will base essentially watch what you're using your money for. So let's say, for instance, you want to go purchase some um, half a pint of adrenochrome somewhere, right? And because it's all in the blockchain and it's all transparent and AI is watching it, it'll stop that transaction. Sorry, no adrenochrome for you. Or sorry, no little boy, little girl for you. It targets you, right? And then boom, it sends out the, the authorities and you're busted. But where's the line? And I, it's like, okay, well, that's an interesting idea. And let's say you program that in, but where's the line with what you spend your resources on? What's the line? Where is that? Where does AI start to make value-based judgments? Say, no, that's that's the third, uh, that's the third pint of Hagen does you, you bought this week. No, it's not good for you. Look at the ingredients. Can't get that. So everything's cool, right? Hey, we're in this new economy. It's great. Oh man, it's fantastic. We don't have to uh, worry about the Federal Reserve. You know, the Rothschilds are out now with a, a cane, a little cup on the, on the street corner. You get to flip them off. Say, fuck you, Rothschilds, right? Cheap energy, cool jobs, innovation. But then you go for your third pint of Haagen-Dazs. I don't know what's wrong here. It's not allowing me to bring this third pint of Haagen-Dazs up. What do you mean? Well, apparently, it's the third one you got this week. I know, but I want it. I want it. Well, apparently it's not good for you. It is suggesting some other brands though. I can wait. I can call somebody to go get another brand for you, but I like fucking Haagen-Dazs. I like this. It's my favorite flavor of Haagen-Dazs. Well, there, there is um, a keto version of this that does have some stevia in. I don't want that fucking ice cream. Right. So this is the value-based judgments that this new economy is supposed to make. I'm after, you know, no offense to the people that I love. I've heard this before from in more than, from more than one place. I don't want that as good as it sounds with all the promise. I don't want, even if it somehow is going to eliminate trafficking or eliminate uh, adrenochrome, Smoothies. I don't want it because I don't want it like viewing my purchases and having a value-based judgment on how I want to spend my income. I don't want it. I'd rather have the one thing about cash that unfortunately we've kind of run cash around, which sucks, is that cash does provide a level of anonymity, right? If I have cash and I give it to you, we are, we're having a transaction, even though there may be little tiny strips in that, that bill, that bill, it's a lot more anonymous than say something that shows up on a ledger sheet. It's being passed around. You can pass that around very quickly. Like you could have that and then pass it again and pass it again. Like, let's say we'll track a hundred dollar bill, hundred dollar bill can be passed through six different hands in the course of a day. Easily, right? Even if it has some little bit of a tracking strip, which the modern money does. 
it's still more anonymous than a digital transaction. And I, I remember, I mean, it's like when, when Masaki and I were um, really getting into the blockchain stuff and putting our webinar together, it really, it dawned on me. Like I didn't really realize it until Masaki showed me all your transactions on the blockchain are fucking available for everybody to see. It's transparent. It's like, what? Like it dawned on me. It, it, it's decentralized. There's no bank involved, but the blockchain is there. You can go and look at people's blockchain. It's like, why the fuck do I want that? Why do I want? And again, this is no slight to my dear friend Masaki. He was the one that showed it to me. But where does this become something good for us? I, I guess maybe if you're somebody who's, but here's the deal. If you're somebody who's running uh I don't know, like an underground economy and using Bitcoin to launder money, whatever, right? You'll see the big tranches of the transaction. You won't see what they're for, though. You won't see that, well, they just spent, I don't know, 10 Bitcoin on an eight-year-old. Right? You won't see that. That won't show up in the ledger sheet, but you'll see the transaction of that 10 Bitcoin being moved. I, it's like, I, you know, I'm not sure I want that. I mean, maybe I don't have a fucking say in this, right? Maybe you don't have a say, but we're coming down to this reality where these are the options that are being parsed out. And they dearly want to get us into a digital currency. They want to get rid of cash and anonymity. And there's a lot of things about cash. By the way, I was in a store on Saturday um, and at the stores, it was an auto parts store. You either had to pay exact change or you had to use a credit card. This was in Austin. So again, they're, they're trying to move us out of this cash world. And is the, I, I, look, I'm all for it. If there's com competing currencies in there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm even okay with the transparency of the blockchain. If there's not that, any, not that anybody at any high level gives a shit about what I think, but I'm okay. If there's competing currencies, I'm all right with that. But one coin for the realm is not something I'm okay with. And of course they're happy. They'd be happy with that. Oh yeah. Let's, let's do it. Ripple XRP, whatever, whatever, Whatever coin of the realm, digital coin of the realm, they're we'll be happy with that because then everything is tra traced and tracked, and then you're on you're you're on the beast system, and if they want to cut you off, they can cut you off. And this is ultimately this is where this all is headed. This is the next two years of the Pluto return in the United States. And say what you will about the myo the the what's the word not, not myopia I guess maybe myopia the myopic view of Americans that our, our view of the world stops at our nose. And there's some truth to that. At the end of the day, though, there's a reason for that. Because number one, we are the world's police force. Number two, we have created the greatest economy um, in the history of the modern world, of course, enabled by people like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and all the fiat lending and currency and all that bullshit that goes on. Yeah, that's true. There's a reason why. And 
there, there was a saying that if uh, at one point, because of the global economy, if America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold, there's some truth to that still to this day. So if we bottom out here in this country, whether it's through the uh, surrender of our uh, currency and some relationship to sovereignty around that, well, guess what? The rest of the world, you're fucked. Okay, you're fucked because now we're in league with Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, and uh, the uh, the cricket and worm diet and digital currency and the social credit score and value-based uh, economy, right? Value-based scale economy. So, yeah, we may be myopic and we may be vested, and I may talk about this at times from this perspective, but there's a reason why, because if, if it falls here, it will fall in the rest of the world. And I would love for Pete Santello to start to do some uh, videos around this and to talk about some, and he knows the score. He gets it. Trust me, this guy's bright. All right. I think it's about it for today. I will have the chat up for tomorrow. There's something about Mondays, man. There's just something about Mondays that doesn't allow for the uh, proper transmission of this show. I don't know. I just don't know when it is. Maybe I should queue up the Boomtown Rats next Monday. I actually like that song. I don't like Mondays. Speaking of rock and roll nostalgia, I saw a little uh, clip on Tears for Fears. They're making their, their return. Like Tears for Fears are making a new album. They're thinking about touring. And they did a uh, piece on the CBS show Sunday Morning. Who was it? Jane Pauley. I think Jane Pauley interviewed them. And Kurt Smith looks okay. Orlando Orzabal looks like shit. He's my age, and he looks like he's in his mid-70s. It's really, they're both my age, and he looks like shit. What's weird is that they did a, a kind of a reunion tour in 2015. It's not that long ago seven years ago, he kind of looked like the guy from the old Tears for Fears. Now he looks horrible. But of the two, he's, he, he's more interesting of the two. Back in the music business, back in the day, way back in the day, I, I had heard that, again, I don't want to diss somebody, but I heard Kurt Smith was like not the, the brightest bulb in the, in the lamp. Okay, well, he's bright enough. He's made a lot of money and carved out a pretty nice life for himself. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge the guy's intelligence. Please, I'm not gonna do that. But when you watch the interview, you can tell that Rolando Orzabal is really smart. He's very intelligent. And what's weird about the interview, well, it's not weird, but the the interview is really about uh, exercising these demons. And they've always been about that. Like, that's where they started. They were into primal scream therapy and shout, shout, let it all out. Uh, apparently, Orlando Orzabal's wife died, and she died of alcoholism. And he says that uh, 
but they would drink a bottle and a half of wine each night. So it'd be, but probably more than that. He's probably being, uh, he's probably being sort of looking for, um, I don't want to use the word generous because he was being, yeah, I think generous is the right word. He's probably being generous with his consumption there. Like it probably would do maybe two bottles or three bottles. I, I don't, I don't know. He said a bottle and a half. But he said they would do it every night and over and his wife was much smaller that over time it consumed her and, and ruined her her organs. So she died of alcoholism. Even though it was just wine, because it's a way of life, I guess, in England drinking wine. He could afford really good fucking wine, I'm sure. Why not? If I had the money, I'd probably have really great wines too. Who knows? But you could tell that it took a toll on him because the guy doesn't look well. I mean, he, well, he's all right. He just doesn't look the way he did, say, in 2015. Kurt Smith hasn't changed that much. They sound good. They sound like tears for fears. But um, to, you know, coming back to the uh, concert circuit and come back trail near you, tears for fears, new album. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for being here. Keep your high beams on. Join me here every day at 9-11, Monday through Thursday, Central Standard Time. And uh, on the podcast side of things, you can always join us here at 15minutesofflame.com, where there generally is a chat, except for Mondays, apparently. So use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. Try not to get sucked in to the uh, to the luge factory. Bye for now.